Welcome to Gridiron Live. We are here on a Thursday, continuing our lead up to the NFL draft, which is now a week away. It's always that strange week just before when you've done basically two years of work on a draft class and then it's all coming to the end. It's like, is it Christmas or do I not want this thing to end? It's that, that strange middle ground. Um, Ollie Conley here alongside Simon Clancy. Si, how are you? Good, Ollie. How are you? Doing great. It's a, it's a great day. It's an exciting day. The, the draft guide is out. The beast, Simon Clancy's draft guide is now available for people to go and get. Are you feeling good about it? Yeah, I'm feeling, um, uh, I'm feeling good. I, yeah, it's like, you know, the draft is such a weird thing, isn't it? Because every well, the beauty of it is that everybody thinks differently about a certain player. You and I have agreements on players. We have different disagreements on players in terms of their ability, their rankings there. So you're putting out your opinions and it, they're never going to jive with everybody else's. And then you get that kind of, but why is so-and-so here? And why is so-and-so there? And I suppose for me, the very first thing that people are going to look at is that I have Carson Strong as the number one ranked quarterback, which is the very first or the second page after the introduction. And people are going to be looking like, who is this idiot? Like what, what, but you know, we'll see, we'll see. It's um, yeah, it's always good to get it out there. And uh, it's been a 365 day labor of hate, love. Um, so yeah, it's been, uh, it's good to get it out there for people to get their eyes on it. It's a great piece of work. There are 240 plus pages of analysis. Um, the best part of the draft guide, and we'll go into some of the other parts just quickly here, is some of the facts, which are amazing. You've me, and I will say, so I worked for a bunch of NFL draft scouting services for eight years. So I'd like to think that I know a little bit about this stuff. And one thing I can always tell around this time of year when I was working in it full time before I went to be a writer was when all the draft guides came out, you could kind of tell who was the real deal and who was kind of just, you know, putting together an amalgamation of other people's work yeah. and sifting it through their own. The great thing about size is the Carson Strong thing is that it is purely your rankings. That is the best part. And it is an unbelievable piece of work just from a scouting perspective. And then I love that it's it's individual in, in, in its rankings and not just trying to grab for whatever Daniel Jeremiah said one day and then yeah. lining them up that way. But the best part is the facts, is finding out what someone has for breakfast, is finding yeah. out who everyone's idol is, is finding out who loves Dolly Parton, and that is why people need to go get it. Yeah, absolutely. Who's got a horse called Wendy? It was one of my, maybe my favourite <laughs> one of all. But actually, like, I always find that thing really interesting because uh, a journalist at heart and um, digging around the minutiae is the thing that I think f I find most interesting. So, you know, off-field issue, when people talk about, oh, they've got off-field red flags, but you never really know what they are. That's kind of trying to find out what they were. Those injuries going back through high school stuff you know, going back through newspaper articles of years ago to find out little details of injuries of, you know, what 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 turns players on. And I, I think you can often find, I, I, I'm never surprised when you go back and look at some of the players. So you go back to like Kadarius Tony, who reported yesterday, obviously by Brian Dable, that he hadn't turned up to, I know it's voluntary workouts, but hadn't turned up. Dable hadn't heard from him. You know, this was a guy that was arrested with AR-15s in his car and was was on a CCTV turning up to a gunfight. It's no surprise that he's not turned out to voluntary workouts, you know. So I think it's um, that's the thing I, I kind of enjoyed the most is finding those little bits of nuggets, little bits of, I, I don't know what a horse called Wendy is going to help Um <laughs> Or the, the the player that wanted to be a rodeo clown. I'm not sure how that helps his NFL career or not. But, you know, it's um, some of those little bits of my new show I think are quite interesting. And people kind of get turned on by that. What's going to be fun is when a bunch of scouts go through this over the coming days and weeks and into next season. And next year at the Combine, there'll be a bunch of people saying, what would you call your fictional horse? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. got you a horse and they're trying to do doing the quick psychology test that question of dogs uh, byron why byron you know explain. why is your horse called brian 
So it's available for people now. If you're listening to this in the podcast form, then the link will obviously be in the description. If you're watching live, you can go now to readoptional.substack.com slash draft guide. You can go and get it there. $7, which is an outrageous amount of money. I was just telling you, Sai, it is already selling like hotcakes to the point where the hotcakes people are going to have to reevaluate their, their sales <laughs> position. All of that for $7. And then you get um, full access to the Read Optional, which is the nerdy newsletter I do, which I would also say is pretty good. So you can go and binge read everything from last season it is not seasonal game specific there's tons of league-wide trends schematic stuff in there so you can go and read the draft guide go read that stuff um great deal i think seven dollars heavy dissection of your uh very very good tour tongue piece in the uh dolphins uh discord chat which i um run with a couple other guys um so yeah all the uh all your right without just becoming a massive reach around. It's <laughs> outstanding. So whenever I see you retweeted by Daniel Jeremiah or Rita Kimes or whatever, it's like, oh, there's Ollie doing this thing, <laughs> do thing with stuff I've never heard of. But it's brilliant. So yeah, all good. All right. Should we discuss the draft then? Let's stop discussing it. ourselves. Let's <laughs> stop patting ourselves. <laughs> so we got up to last time, I think pick 10, if I remember correctly, listeners will, as always, correct us if we are wrong. So we're just going to carry on rolling here the way we did it last time. Go through pick by pick, give an analysis of where we feel the team is at, where they may look, and in doing so, kind of give you a broader picture of where prospects are in that range. Give our, our feeling on position groups in general, the prospects, and just use the, the teams as a jumping off point, which takes us to the 11th pick in the draft which is the Washington football team. I'm going to continue to call them because I refuse to acknowledge that nickname <laughs> that they have decided for themselves. And I'm going to wait for whenever Jay-Z winds up buying that team and Congress takes it from Dan Snyder and we get a real name. That yeah. is when I will I will return to, to whatever the football name is at the moment, which I'm actually blanking on as we speak is how bad I am at this. Commanders. Oh, there we go. That's correct. Oh, God, it's, it gets, oh the commies. That's right. I, I will call them the Washington commies. That, that I will do. So... Looking at kind of their teamies, the every, the thing everyone jumps to after they do the Carson Wentz deal is, do they go and get a wide receiver? There's obviously the Terry McLaurin situation. What are they going to do with the contract there? Do they go and get a receiver to pair with that? They could do with any kind of help in the defensive backfield. They had ludicrous linebacker issues last year that they really liked their linebackers. They were just terrible last season. Could they go and look at a Devin Lloyd or something? Where are you at with Washington? Yeah, I think I think receiver and linebacker. I think, you know, Ron Rivera talked a lot last year about the need for a, a Mike linebacker, which is, you know, I don't think an insignificant utterance from a guy who played with Luke Keekley for a long time. So, you know, I, I think that certainly has got to be front and centre. And you make the point, and I, I think it's so fascinating, and we're, I don't know whether it's going to happen, but you look at the Tyreek Hill trade, you look at the fact that Debo Samuel might get moved. There's been talk about Terry McLaurin. There's a, you know, it's a good receiver draft, but you look at a Green Bay Packers, you look at, a, you know, teams that are out there looking for receivers and Washington absolutely comes into this. And then if they don't get involved in a trade for a Samuel or for, a, you know, for an AJ Brown or, or whoever might potentially be out there, you look at who's going to fit their, their, their needs in terms of stylistically what they like. Are they going to go for those bigger guys like a Drake London, a, you know, big tall frame sort of power forward of a wide receiver who can go out and win at the catch point, win above the rim, you know, can, can make great yards after catch. You, you know, he watches USC tape and he's just bouncing off guys. Once he gets the ball in his hands, like a, you know, like a running back picking up extra yards, first downs, touchdowns. Or are they going to look for a, you know, a Garrett Wilson or a Chris Olave, somebody who runs, you know, just better routes in terms of their footwork, in terms of how they use their body and their heads and their shoulders to get open in terms of their their route tree? 
I think you're tossing up between the between a linebacker and a wide receiver. And I, if I had to plumb for it, I might say Drake London. I have to say, but I, I think for somebody like Ron Rivera to look at Devin Lloyd out there and think, you know, I can pair him with Jamin Davis, who I took in the first round last year, uh, and that all of a sudden makes that linebacker core look significantly better. So, I, so I, I suspect from from my point of view, I'd probably just side more on the linebacker. I'll come back onto the linebackers in just a second, and we'll, and we'll just uh, I just want to talk about Drake London a little bit more. Uh, I've had a real epiphany in the last 18 months about these wide receivers. I think we spoke about this at some point on the main show where I now just want the guys who get open, right? Mm -hmm. I remember the last time I was working this full time, just getting burnt by Laquan Treadwell of like, I love the above the rim guy. I love watching them in college and you picture in your head, like Nikhil Harry, oh, he's going to dominate three by one backside. You know, you get a six foot corner on him. That's the biggest they're going to have on the other side of the ball. And we'll just throw a slant little post up and we'll rip it in there and happy days. And it's just being bust after bust for the post-up guys. And you go through some of the Drake London numbers, and he has a his contested catch rate is like 80%. It's like mm-hmm. the guy is not open, open yeah. at the college level. And I am more and more kind of defaulting to this position of get me the guys who, no matter how um, detailed, nuanced the route tree was in college, none of them outside of the Ohio State guys are running really, you know, clever intricate route trees or doing deep option stuff like they do at ohio state and having to think on the fly along with the quarterback and you know read leverage and that kind of thing they're all running to predetermined spots at this point and not a lot of predetermined spots so i i kind of just want the guy who is wide open and we'll figure yep. the rest out that's why i just love sky more so much it's like give yep. me the quick foot shuffler who's immediately open right and then, and then we'll get him the ball he can he can figure out how to turn right and left in the league i think no i i i agree i mean i i think um more such an interesting name as well, isn't he? Such an interesting player. For those that don't know, the Western Michigan kid is converted corner, just two years of experience. But he's he's a high IQ, twitchy route runner, isn't he? Who can just get open. He's got. A, he, I think he can play him inside. He can play him outside. He's just got. A, he's got a nice ceiling. He reminds me of Doug Baldwin. I don't know if you've got a player comparison to him. I think, Edel, I think Edelman with the, oh, a little bit yeah. more twitch. And if you said now you knew who Edelman was and the way the game has gone, would you take him in the first round? Go, yes, of course, of course I would take Jordan Edelman. 100%. So that, that's where I'm at with him. The only thing I'll say with London, and I am only slightly lower on him than other people because of that point. And it is, it's not fair to Drake London. And this is how draft analysis works. It is the personal burn of getting burnt by Laquan Treadwell and Nikhil <laughs> Harry. And it's got nothing to do with the poor fellow who plays at USC, right? That's just how this this goes yeah absolutely i way preferred the 2020 route distribution and where they put him he moved all across the formation because i think he's being kind of pigeonholed as the three by one backside guy and you kind of dk metcalf right not that not exactly the, the same vertical speed but what you would hope to be able to isolate him and then take advantage of a matchup this is kind of where he's being put in this draft class i way 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 prefer when they moved him around i think there's a lot there's plenty more to squeeze out of him there that we've not actually seen yet and that is what would get me excited i say okay if i put him in a condensed split and i can get him off the line clean then that's gonna be really really hard and i think if he goes in this range where he's expected to go eight and down you you want him to go to an organization who is a bit more nimble um, and a bit more creative with his usage rather than just saying, yeah, you line up on the backside and, and we'll throw you you know, some ISO routes every now and then. Yeah, I love what Graham Harrell did with him in 2020 where he played him much more on the slot to take mm-hmm. advantage of those sort of mismatches, but actually played more outside in 2021. Um, 
I, I just think he's a really, I, I really like him off the field as well. I just think he's got that kind of, he, he's got an NFL brain. He's got, uh, he's been somebody that's worked really hard off the field in terms of the little bits of his game, the minutiae of his game. He, he spends a lot of time studying and working with guys like Mike Evans and Michael Thomas, Thomas for hands, Evans for physicality, he's worked on his route running, all of those things. He's also really young. He's a baby. He's not going to be 20, 21 until early in the, um, he's not going to be 21 until early in the 2022 season. There's a lot of 20s and 2021s in there. Let me say that again. He is going to be 21 years old early in the 2022 season. So he's a baby in terms of, um, you know, where he's at. So um, I just think it's going to come down. I mean, who do you think is going to be the first receiver off the board? I mean, that to me is just such a fascinating question because you've got the big guys, the Burks, the 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 Londons, you've got the little guys in inverted commas, the Alaves, the Wilsons, you've got kind of the, the Jameson Williams, the speed guy. Then you kind of, you know, people talking about Christian Watson, people talking about Sky Moore, people talking about, you know, who do you, how do you see it playing out? I really think it comes down to whoever has the power in an organization, which I know sounds a bit ominous, but it's like, <laughs> if a coach is the, is the in-charge guy, yeah. like Ron Rivera, I think they take a Chris Alave. I think the smoothness you know, you just go gaga watching him and it's teaching yeah. tape on every single rep. He's smoother than everyone else. And that just gets you all excited. If it's the GM where it's like a capital situation, how am I allocating my resources? You say, go get me that guy from USC who there's some, a little bit of extra stuff still in there. And as you said, he's 21. So he's going to be 26 by the end of this contract. Now it works now. We'll probably have to trade him for two first round picks when he's 25. That just seems like a better use of resources. Uh, my guy is Jameson Williams, right? I, I just think that in terms of what you could get out of him, game tilting speed, not necessarily Tyreek Hill, no one is, but the kind of impact on your entire offense and the geography and landscape of your offense, I think uh, Jameson can have the, the biggest impact on that. So that's the guy I would want on my team. But obviously with the ACL tear, not knowing the medical, he's likely to go, I think, 16 downwards, maybe even get to the 20s in Green Bay, which would be the most delightful spot if you're a neutral. Yeah. Um, so that would be the guy I would be working back. This is the thing, right? We spoke about this last week. They're all so good that you, you start talking to yourself saying, well, do we take the one that we love at 11 or do we just get ourselves down to the 20s and take one of the other ones we love? We've ever, yeah. ever is third or fourth on the board. When I was doing the draft guide and watching the tape and, and whatever, and you're like, wow, I love X. And then you're like, I'm going to have to put him at number two or number <laughs> one. And then you're like, Wow, train on Burks against Alabama. Dude, you are like everybody's saying you can't run and you're running away from DeMarco Hallams and you're running away from Battle and you're running away from Armour Davis and Josh Job. And well, and then you put on, oh God, go back and watch a larvae again. You're like, God, you're so smooth and slick. And then it's like Christian Watson, watch Christian Watson down the field, like just de destroying people, blocking <laughs> down the field. And you're like, Wow, what and like seeing him run out of the senior bowl in Mobile, like stood in the bleachers, and out he comes. I'm like, who is this guy? Look at his arms, and he's like, he's so like cut in terms of musculature, in terms of like, he looks like a, I mean, yeah, he looks like a Greek god. It was um, you're like, crikey, and you can play, and he's working out with the cornerbacks in front of me, and you're like, God, your footwork is fantastic as well. It's just, yeah, I mean, there's well, a... Watson's the most terrifying one. It's where you're like, look at him going, are we gonna? Be sat in three years saying that's Metcalf, not Calvin Johnson as in the production. No one ever will be probably, but like that level of single game dominance where yeah. he just gets into a game where no one can cover him and he goes to 200 yards. But then why do he only play 35% of his offensive snaps at North Dakota State? It's like a, it's such a puzzling situation with him where you just want to get him to Green Bay, right? I know I'm trying to send all these guys to Green Bay, but it's like the most fun in the league yeah. is if they get that guy to Green Bay and he figures it out. 
how are you six foot four and 208 pounds and have a 30 percent catch win rate on contested catches do you know what i mean yeah that's that's an issue you have 16 career drops that's an issue especially given the size of your hands but it's just a, like given how run oriented that that bison offense was you know, 57 plays in his career that went 20 plus yards. Do you know what I mean? I mean, 57 is a lot. That's a big number. Do you know what I mean? And then blocking ability at the line of scrimmage, the way you, know, you look at the Rams, how the Rams motion receivers down to take on the big edges and stuff and, and do some great blocking work at the line of scrimmage. You see him doing that. You see him, you know, blocking down the field, like I just said. Really intriguing prospect. And we haven't even mentioned George Pickens, who, you know, Lord knows where he goes. Lord knows. I mean, it really would not shock me. I mean, he is the best in the nation. Any receiver, any age group, uh, understanding pre-snap what the coverage principle is. It is so difficult in college. They run so many combination and match coverages because they have guys for three years and they've got Nick Saban every day yelling in their face, right? And the best defensive back coach in America telling them every day, we're running these really complicated, intricate combination coverages and to read that out in real time, which is all that Pickens does, it's a false step here, so you bite this way and I'm going this yeah. way. Because I know, based on your alignment, that you're matching me vertical on this one and you'll let me go underneath. So I'm going to press vertical with the outside foot. You're going to try and match me there, and then I'm inside. That is not normal, right? And then you get it in that frame. It's like, wow. You just, It's one of those ones where you just... It reminds me of Justin Blackman in a way. It's like, I want to take that yeah. guy in the top five with the talent. And then I'm like, oh, but the injuries, it's, it's, that's a real tough uh, one. The off-field as well. Like there yeah. was some serious, like, you know, I spoke to a number of scouts just about, you know, because the stuff you just can't get to in terms of information. And, you know, volatile, like I put in the draft, but volatile is the word that came back to me, uh, you know, more than twice from people. You know, there was an issue in high school that legally I probably can't talk about, and but there, were, there were, you'll be able to find it if you if you Google it. You know, he had a hot, whatever it was, and, you know, I, there, there were other issues apart from this one thing, you know, hothead tag coming out of high school that suspended. I mean, he had the fight with, with Ken Swilling's son in the, in the Georgia Tech game. He, multiple personal foul penalties throughout his career. He squirted water in Jarrett Garantalo's face. Like, he would sort of for a badly thrown ball or an incompletion that came his way to throw his hands up or he remonstrates the quarterback and he just were like, you know, and we talk about Kadarius Tony earlier on and, you know, some of those things. It's hard. The, the worst one for him is all the coaching stuff because I don't think NFL GMs care that much about the on the field stuff. It looks bad, but I think they'd be like, whatever. The coaching stuff where like he's fighting coaches, not in meetings, doesn't give a shit. He's like, yeah, yeah I'm smarter than all you guys. That's, that's the one where you're like we, we can just find guys it's the nfl right they all look like physical specimens we'll just go get another guy yeah exactly so yeah where he where he could be anything he could be anything he wants to be if he switched on mentally he could be anything he wants to be but that's a pretty big question i wanted to come back to devin lloyd and we will we will rattle through picks but this is more of a general oversight in terms of the linebacker class we've talked ad nauseum since we started doing this pod together about how the changing nature of defensive structures in college football, the volume of three safety sets, and how everyone's kind of running a unique defense at the moment. We're in this transition period where Georgia's doing their thing, but Utah's doing this thing. Now Notre Dame's doing this thing, and they're not all aligned up. It's not like it used to be where you know a block of twelve schools ran the four-two-five, a block of fifteen schools were running Saban's three-match coverage, yeah. and they, you know you could kind of neatly slot them in. They're all kind of tweaking and figuring out as they go, and we're getting all these different body types coming out. 
Then you go to the NFL where the same thing is happening, particularly in terms of run fits. How they're fitting the run is getting different team to team. When you used to really have about two or three ways, you could kind of pinpoint, oh, that's the Belichick model, that's this model. Particularly as teams try to address the wide zone issue where we, we're all playing with bare fronts. We play in 6-1, are we play in 5-2. Are we uncapping the guards? Are we capping the guards? This is the kind of conversations they're all having. And it means you need a specific thing for each one of them, right? So I'm going through this linebacker class and I'm like, well, if you know you need a very specific thing, it completely changes your draft board where if you're playing against uncapped guards where the job is to Dante Hightower through someone's face as they pull around the corner, you don't need N'Kobe Dean. So yeah. all of a sudden he's just off the board. And so your linebacker class kind of pushes up in a way where your fourth guy might be Kay Walker, might think you can get him in the second round. Your third guy might be Chad Muma and you think you can get him in the fourth round. So that's yeah. a real discussion here. The only one who I think is that special is Devin Lloyd, where I'm like, I, I maybe we'll do that in the first round. But I'm at the point where it's so talented. You take Brandon Smith and you say, you played this overhang, apex cover down role, as they say in coaching parlance. Well, if I move you to Miami and you're basically playing as a mug linebacker for 50% of the game, getting into passing lanes, that's, that's a completely different alignment spacing to what you've ever experienced in the college game, right? Yeah, I, I just feel like linebacker is getting to the point where it's very much like interior guards where you're like you would love to have the quinton nelson but because it's so specific now schematically to what you do that i'd rather just go find one in the third or fourth round and then to me it's a really deep linebacker class too i agree i think the thing that's fascinating is the evolution of size at linebacker as well i mean even five eight years ago you know i mean look at this class now and i'll scroll through it but you know nicobe dean at 5 11 229 i know he's your two he's my one you know channing tindall's 228 pounds um you know where are where else christian harris is what 226 six foot 226 um yeah, Brian Asamoah, what, what's Asamoah? 220, two 6 foot 220. Jojo Doman at 6'1", 228. You've got these guys, you know, 226 for Jeremiah Gamel of North Carolina. You've got all these guys that, like, they'd be safeties 10, yeah. 15, 20 years ago. But the evolution of size and uh, and speed and the ability to get to landmarks. And, and I think, and I, I haven't studied it, and you probably have, but, like, the... Like going through the center class this year, there's so many centers that are under 300 pounds. Yeah, you go back 10, 15 years, you're looking at centers are significantly bigger guys. I think that's spilling down to you know, we don't tend to have nearly as big a guards as we used to in terms of you know, I go back, you know, Larry Allen's and those sorts of guys. I don't think that's so the ability for the speed and the instincts and the eye work of those linebackers, you can almost kind of take off 10 pounds because you're all right yeah. i've been 226 because you know that instinctively or his eyes or his you know how he sees the game how he processes is going to get into that landmark quicker than it would have done if he's carrying that extra 15 pounds or whatever it's it's a fascinating sort of subplot to to how you build a roster with what we would traditionally call undersized players and now what's mad about it is the body types in the nfl are all over the place because as i was saying about how they're fitting the run-up where jok and Devondre Campbell look like two different yeah. sports, yeah. right? But they're, they're two great linebackers, right? Because they fit the run in a different way. They don't need to have the same overlapping skill set. What is happening in the league is we're all playing with a five-man front or a six-man front. So are you playing on the – are you walking to the edge when we have to move to that because of motion? Or are you the off-ball guy who's kind of like saying, you know, reading it out and just kind of hitting it up wherever you have to hit it up? Because no one's really penetrating through the middle unless you're mugging and it's like some kind of run blitz. So – it's fascinating. You look at the best players of last year, though, and they're all pretty massive 
with wingspan because yeah. the league has decided that thing where we tried to do the matchup where we tried to get someone who could cover Rob Gronkowski and Jimmy Graham that was a whiff right because they're yeah. just better than us and they know where they're going we've been so waiting now, for years yeah. it's just... so now we're spot dropping and so we're doing the NBA shit where it's like just get your arms in passing lanes so yeah. go get me a guy with the biggest wingspan and we'll just drop him out like Miami does it's we're up on the line of scrimmage and we're dropping out and we're not trying to match anyone we're just throwing our arms in the air and hoping that we kind of make it muggy and weird for the quarterback so as I'm saying, like going through it, like Brandon Smith, I think he's 10th on your board, right? I think, but if you're running a specific system, he's probably the second or third guy just because of the body type. So I say all that to say, I think what we're going to get over the next two, three years, and you see this with last year's class too. Seventh is, on the board. Is seventh on the board. Okay. Yeah. I, on someone's board, I reckon he's second or third. Yeah. And they and hope they can get he's 20 years old as well. Yes. He's another 20 year old. Former five star, which they yeah. all love. They all go, oh, exactly. we'll, we'll, we'll coach him up properly. He wasn't coached up properly. And then he's played out the box. It was a bizarre situation at that size. And for me, it was just consistency more than anything. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? He was, like, he was a 12th overall prospect, uh, regardless of position. He was the Gatorade player of the year in Virginia. It's like, you know, he's got so much talent, but he's just a baby. He's so athletic. <laughs> you know, you're a 452-40 at the combine. You know, that's not an anomaly. He's just as fast on tape as he is, you know, on the track. He's, yeah, he's a he's a really interesting player. But completely, yeah. and like, you go back five, eight, ten years, you know, taking on climbing linemen, it's, I've got to, I've got to take you on physically. I've got to lock out. I've got to get on. Now it's just, I can run around you because I'm 228 pounds and I run 442, like a Troy Anderson. I know yeah. Anderson's bigger at 249, but, you know, Nicobe Dean runs in a 44. Devin Lloyd runs a 4 4 slash 4 5. You can just get to those landmarks quicker. You can get ahead of those climbing linemen. You don't have to go three guys all the time. And that's just a fact, you know, just a small facet of that evolution of the game that we talk about. And it sounds daft to say fit is important, but like that position has become fit is everything. That's the point. And and so where I'm at with it now is like you go through this class and you say, okay, the stars are Devin Lloyd and Kobe Dean, right? Everyone's got them in their top tier of linebackers and it depends which one you, you prefer, right? But with fit being so essential, I think we're going to get so many more busts in that star category that I'm saying there. And the value is going yeah. to be in that third or fourth round of saying, let's just wait and get a guy who fits our athletic profile, who we know ran a similar run fit scheme to us in college. We'll ask them, we'll get on the whiteboard and we'll just swoop and get one in the fourth round. So going back to the 11th pick, which we've taken half an hour to get through, it's like... <laughs> I just don't know if there's great value anymore as much as I, my whole thing. My, I spent three years of my career doing off-ball linebackers. That was my whole thing. And I used to watch and go, diagnose and attack instincts. Can he drop into zone and does he drive on the ball? Because he knew before and that in-break was coming in the intermediate phase. Did he read the screen and fire out there? And as you said, hit the landmark before the ball even got there. Now I'm just like, I just don't think that you need to do that in the first round anymore. I really don't. That's a fair point. It's a fair point. And you look at, like, you look at how we talked about, Ian, you mentioned it about the tight end eliminator. You know, Isaiah Simmons was the, the you know, yeah. this is a guy who's going to eliminate tight ends forever. And it's just like, no, nope, it's not worked. You know, try it. You know, there's a reason Rob Gronkowski is the first ballot all of favorite <laughs> because nobody's ever been able to eliminate him. And, you know, I just, uh, you know, I just don't think it's, uh, you can't do it. You can't do it. So who are we going for with Washington then? What's your... With Washington, man, I, I I reckon that they would... I mean, if you just try to picture in your head, you have this quarterback who doesn't know where he's throwing the ball, so you've got no idea where it's going. <laughs> it's like, so do you get the wingspan guy or do you get the open guy? I don't know if any of that helps, honestly, in that system. But if you I know you have McLaurin, I do like the idea of going big little. It's yeah. like old school NBA. But I also do love, well, if I draft a larvae, two guys are probably open on every play. 
And you've got to think that Carson Wentz isn't going to be around forever unless he, you know, has an yeah. incredible rebirth that I don't think any of us think is necessarily going to happen. And even if the guy is open, I don't think he's necessarily shown that he can be <laughs> anyway. So maybe it is the big guy who just go, you know, and get those misplaced balls. Uh, let's move on to Minnesota then. I think here that the obvious ones, again, you could look at receiver, but it's probably corner or, or edge. And the, just the way it, it's tough to know what they're going to do on defense because they're, they're so old. It's a changing staff, but they scream George Karloff this to me. Oh, interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, I, I thought that they, I thought corner, I've got to say, because you look at, you know, they've got a lot of players at corner, but not a lot of talent, you know, whether that's Nate Hairston or Harrison Hand or Chris Boyd or Cam Dantzler or, you know, the 68-year-old Patrick Peterson or Ty Smith or Shannon Sullivan or, you know, I thought probably corner and, you know, maybe a Trent McDuffie or, a, um, you know, but Carl is a good shout, actually. It's an interesting shout. He's a, he's a, his stock's all over the board as well, which I don't really, you know, just a really solid... High floor. It's a tough one as well because he's, he ticks all the boxes of the football guys, right? Because they love the power rusher. Yeah. Football guys love power rusher. And then the analytics are so off the charts. Mm. You know that these things flash up on Twitter of these like test scores and there's green boxes and red boxes. And you, you go through all the players and he's got like the most green boxes compared to historical comparisons of any of that group, including Walker, including Thibodeau. So he, for the analytics crowd, for the football guy crowd, he ticks them all. And yet it's not like he's ever been in a conversation like in Aiden Hutchinson, yeah. which is not too dissimilar a play profile. Aiden Hutchinson is a more versatile player than, than Carl Aftis is. He just does what he does very well. Yeah. But as you said, high floor. And if you're rebuilding a defense and Daniel Hunter's had the, the injury concerns, but you know how he plays – their, their styles would marry up really well if, if he is healthy and they're able to play together. What I like about him is that he comes from an elite sporting family. Like his dad played for the University of Miami. His brother was world judo champion. But Carlos himself has been an elite, I know, I know it's a different sport and an unusual sport, but he has been a, he was in, the, in Greece's uh, under-16 national water polo team as a goalkeeper. He's been around elite sport. Like I spoke to a couple of people at Purdue who said that, you know, when he arrived at, on campus from day one, absolutely full gas, stud on the field, stud off the field, leader, maybe doesn't have the same athletic makeup as uh, as others in the class as a Thibodeau or whatever. You talk about Aiden Hutchinson, but just a guy who's just like twitchy, he's not flashy, but powerful, I mean, the hand usage, he's got great hands. I, I, You know, to me, like I said, high floor guy who just come in and will play 10 years, play at a high level, do exactly what you need him to do, be a leader off the field. Um, I think he's an excellent player. I think that's a really good, I think that's a, a really good pick for them. I, I still think corner is just a massive need, especially, you know, you're still playing Aaron Rodgers twice a year without, yeah. even without Devontae Adams, you know, and you hope, you, you hope Justin Fields progresses and, you know, you wait to see what happens in Detroit, but you kind of, yeah, it's, um, I, I feel like corner's a big need, but Carl Aftis is a, is a sound pick. Would you, is McDuffie good enough for you in that spot? I've not got your rankings up right now. That, yeah, got, that I mean, to me is uh, the, um, the slide situation, I think, is when I would start looking at, at corner. Yeah, I, it's interesting to me because I have some issues around Gardner, not a lot of issues. I don't, I, I have Andrew Booth as the number one corner. Yep. Um, Gardner to me just feels like a penalty machine. He's so grabby throughout the field, throughout the route. He's a, he's a really good player. Don't get me wrong. Uh, that that concerns me. And when he gets grabby, he gets flat-footed. Uh, 
and vice versa. And I, I, I suspect that once his technique begins to clean up, he began, he, he will get less grabby. But you go back and look at him against UCF in 2020 against Dylan Gabriel, who abused him. You go and watch him against Calvin Austin at Memphis. I mean, he had a, he had a dire day. He was significantly better in 2021, but he will still arm bar players. He will still initiate contact time and again beyond five yards. He will stop those feet moving. He'll fall behind in a rep. He will get panicked. He will get unbalanced. He'll start tugging and pulling. That, that for me, that worries me. Um, and so, but I also think he's going to go significantly higher than yeah this, this position that we're that we're talking about. Derek Stingley is obviously an X factor. We talked about would he go to Seattle at that time? You know the amazing feat, but you're buying him on the 2019 tape. Obviously down year in 2020, injured in 2021. Do I blame the fact that a 19 year old kid comes off a national championship where he probably should have won the Thorpe Award and has a sophomore slump? Not really, but. You know, I'm also not putting my job on the line to 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 use the 11th or the 10th or whatever it is overall pick on a kid that last probably played really consistently well in in 2019. So I don't know. I I think to me, I have Kyler Gordon, the, the Washington teammate of McDuffie, more highly rated. But I think it just says something about the quality of the class. I and mean, it's testament to how good the corner class is that McDuffie is the sixth player on the on my board because I think this is a solid, consistent, high floor corner. Maybe he lacks a little bit of length. Maybe he lacks a little bit of ball production of some in the class, but just solid, translatable skill set that yeah, plug and play starter. I think to me, um, I think he's a really, I think he's a really interesting player. But, you know, there's a couple of players who won't go as high. Roger McCreary, the 28 inch arms, but I watched him up close at the senior bowl. His hips are so smooth, like so smooth. And you watch him up against a John Mechie and a Jameson Williams and a Traylon Burks and, and those guys in the SEC, the kid at LSU, he's going to be a high pick next year. And you just think. This is a, just a really, really good player. Um, and I suppose a bit like wide receiver, as we talked about it earlier on, when you get into the Sky Moors and the Christian Watsons, you, know, you get into that day two area and you've got, you know, if if Kair Alarm is still there. You know, I love Jalen Armour Davis of, of Auburn, but you've got Martin Emerson of Mississippi State. You've got Tariq Woolen, the kid, the UTSA, who's really good at the senior bar and people are talking up as a, you know, as a day two, early day two guy. So there's a lot of quality there. Um, the McDuffie one is tough for me. That the Washington guys all scare me until they change that scheme. It's so, yeah. good. and this is again going back to the, the 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 bias of like, okay, so those Washington guys scare me because the specifics of the system they run, the footwork, all that jazz doesn't often translate to the NFL. When you start saying, hey, can you run bump and run coverage for thirty snaps a game minimum? But the league isn't running that anymore. They're yeah. all zone dropping. So yeah. does it make that much of a difference? He has the physical profile to be an outstanding. Him, I, I liked him when he when he played in man, but then Jimmy Lake obviously runs that sort of cover three scheme, and then it, I think they're doing things that you are seeing more and more, and maybe even two years ago you weren't seeing, but yep. now you're seeing them more and more in the as the NFL continues to evolve in those you know, like we talked about the linebackers, that evolution is happening almost week on week now with these kind of young innovators that are coming into the game. So the alarm one's fascinating too, because you know, someone has them as their top corner because they are just besotted by, is it six two length, you know, like a pterodactyl or whatever. And they got in their mind saying Richard Sherman, but quicker. Could we have Richard Sherman, but quicker? Let's do it. So some staff in this range, and we, we can actually move on to Houston because Houston is just us talking about who's good football players at this point. Do they move that pick? Do they not move that pick? I think if I'm them, I'm taking whoever's the slider. That is my guy. Um, yeah. If it's Stingley, you know, if, if you're Houston and you're that bad, and I know that they have some specific needs, but they have needs everywhere. Obviously, they just need to build a good football team over time. If Stingley's there, 
that is an excellent buy low yeah. situation. Yeah, Kyra Lam, another one, twenty years old. He's like still got so much, so much in front of him. So and obviously comes from a football family. His brother was Matt Elam, who was I don't know why I called him Alarm when I called Matt Elam Matt Elam. <laughs> same same guy. But you know, the first round pick of the um of the Ravens a few years ago, the safety. So, you know, in terms of in terms of stock and in terms of youth, he's certainly got that on his, on his side. I, I, I think you're absolutely nailed on when you say that some teams will have him first. And I think most I think if you sat down with GMs for 32 different teams, they would have the top six corners in six. You know, you would yeah. not get the same order from almost everybody. I think that that's how tightly ranked I think the corners are. And then you'll probably get a couple of guys that we don't have in the top six that they've got in eight or ten, whether it's a Tariq Woolen or, you know, somebody's going to like a Cam Taylor Britt and we'll have them a bit higher than other teams, you know, in terms of how they work specifically. And, you know, even down, you look at the kid at Washington State, Jalen Watson, the guy that was a two-time Juco All-American who went to USC, couldn't, uh, was academically ineligible, went to work at Wendy's in in Georgia and, you know, signs up to play for, for Wazoo, plays four games for Washington State in 2020 and then is a, you know, first-team Pac-12 player, that, you know, um, defensive player for, for for Washington State, and you think he's long, he's physical, you know, he's inexperienced, but you know somebody's going to look at that and think, hmm, I can turn that into something. It's going to be fascinating to see which teams like this move to saying we're just doing spot dropping zones. These offenses are too tough to stop. It's all condensed. Who and if they're motioning, we have to move our guys. Well, we want smaller guys then, so we can kind of flip the the, um, the positions and be a bit more versatile on the back end. Who wants the McDuffies, the McCreary's, the, the guys who we know are quality off-zone players? Yeah. And who is go- looking at Elam and going, he is the perfect match three Seattle corner, right? Yeah. And we don't live in that world anymore. Yeah. So it's like, who is just like, oh, but come on, man. We Imagine if we could play in the match three Seattle yeah. world. It's still the best system overall in the NFL. It's just no one's running it anymore. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. If this is the Byron Maxwell era, he'd be, um, <laughs> <laughs> we'd be talking top five. So. Really. Uh, at 14 then it's Baltimore and they have to get some kind of pass rush and I think the yeah. two ways they can think of this is either they get whoever's the top edge rusher uh, if you didn't listen last week I would recommend going back because we ran through all of the, the edge rushing class I think we actually did a separate show on the edge rushing class there's we've covered them in detail you know if Jermaine Johnson is there whoever they, they they think is is one of those top guys they will get a player who is top eight on their board at that spot for sure, because of the quarterbacks that will go beforehand. Or you say we get Jordan Davis, and the idea is now Mike McDonald comes in, he's not running the system of before where it's going to be so pressure heavy. He is pretty much a we play man coverage, we send four pass rushes. So he probably wants a prototypical pass rusher there. But you could go get Jordan Davis and say, we're running all the zone pressures, the creepers, all the college style stuff. And he's going to be the guy who gobbles up all the blocks and makes life easier for everyone else. And obviously he's a, he's a menace on first down. Would you kind of do the great interior guy that helps everyone else out? Or would you just say, go get the best edge rusher? I mean, Jordan Davis is almost a show in itself in terms of discussing where we both stand on, on him. Cause I'm pretty sure we've got some interesting opinions on it. I mean, the guy that we've just highlighted for Minnesota, Carl Aftis, you know, you kind of think, I know it's not a Wink Martindale defense anymore, but he just screams to me, Baltimore Ravens player. Yep. Do you know what I mean? In terms of that high effort kind of same with Jermaine Johnson. I don't, I'm not sure if Johnson is there, but to me, you know, those two would be absolutely screaming out to be, um, to be Ravens players. And I, I just think they're, you know, they just fit in perfectly in terms of what the sorts of players 
that um, that John Harbaugh looks for in terms of effort, in terms of energy, in terms of hustle, in terms of flexibility, um, and in terms of that kind of off-field leadership, the, the stuff that they really they really crave down there. So, so to me, that would be you know I think if either one of those was on the board, I think that's where I'd be looking. The thing that they need desperately, I did a show with Spencer Schultz who covers them. Um, I've talked about this thing where there's like universal truths you just believe in sport, even though, you know, a lot of intangible stuff people think is horseshit. But the idea of certain football clubs develop young players, right? It's like this DNA nonsense that like every organization you walk into now, they talk about how they have a DNA. And you're like, I didn't know Stoke had a DNA in playing football. The Stoke way? But with the Ravens, like obviously it was always having a good defense, but it was always a violent defense and they yeah. don't hit anymore. It's the most bizarre thing in the league. They became such a passive defense because of the style they were trying to do, which is very zone pressure oriented, that they just had always guys moving backwards and they lost violence. So they need to get someone who they who's coming in who they know it wants to get after it, basically. Yeah. I'm not quite sure the dip and rip style of pass rusher, who it's a bit more technical, fits them. That's where Carl Afterbys, I think, is perfect. Yeah. Uh, Shane is not too Carl Aftis. Carl Aftai? Would you call him the Carl Aftai? Carl Aftis. We could share it between the Vikings and the Ravens. All right, then. We're going to have to wrap up there. I know we didn't get through a ton of picks, but we did get through some really interesting general stuff, I think. So um, hopefully people can take that into the other picks, and we'll be back over the next few days to knock out all the first round, and people will be able to come back for that. Cyclants, people can go and get the draft guide right now. It is ready. You can go get it. Readoptional.com slash substack slash the readoptional.substack.com slash draft guide the link will be in the description go and get the draft guide now